Well, happy Thursday. How are we? St. Patrick's Day and all that. I'm Jake. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. Glad that you are here tonight. And, uh, you know, I have a large family. We have six kids. And do you know, you want to know what the, like the, the worst part of having a large family is? It's the kids. No, I'm kidding. The kids are great. Um, it's laundry. It's 100% laundry. Can I get an amen on that? And see, even if you have a small family, laundry is just hard, right? And so when we went from three kids to six kids last summer, our laundry situation just got out of control. We started pulling the laundry out of the little laundry room, and we would put it on this couch uh, in our front den. We've got like a living room and a front den, so we got two couches. But we would put it on that front den couch. There's always laundry there, and I'm always telling the kids you got to put up the laundry, and it's just always there all the time. It's kind of the bane of our existence. There's not a lot of time when there's no laundry on this couch, and it's gotten so bad that my youngest, who's six years old, she asked her mom the other day where something was, and, and her mom said it's on the couch, and she said, uh, which couch, the laundry couch or the TV couch? And so it's gotten so bad, she, she just thinks the couch is for laundry, that like there's no, people don't sit on that couch, laundry sits on that couch. I can imagine like a future conversation with a future husband, like needing a laundry couch. Like, which couch is going to be our laundry couch? The husband's like, we need a laundry couch? Of course we do. All right. Yeah, we have lots of laundry. It's the bane of our existence, and our kids hate it just about every day. I say, got to go sort the laundry and put your laundry up. And they're like, oh, my gosh. Why do we have laundry? And I'm like, because you keep wearing clothes. And, you know, we don't want to go the other way on that. We want you to wear clothes. And. And so here's what I found out about some of my kids, though. Some of my kids are, like, really good at starting to put up their laundry, but they're not that great at finishing putting up their laundry. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'll tell them to do it, and I'll come back through, and they're sorting, and, and I'll, I, you know, whose shirt is this? Whose pants are these? That kind of thing's going on. Then two minutes later, I come back through, and, and two of them are, like, you know, playing catch with a ball of socks, and one of them's, like, rolling on the floor between piles, and the other three are nowhere to be found. Or I'll, I'll send them to their rooms with their little piles, and they're supposed to put them right up, and then I'll come back by, and I'll see the pile on the floor, and the kid is just like engrossed in a Lego project or, you know, a stuffed animal game or a book or whatever. And so I go, did you get your laundry put up? I know they didn't put it up because I can see it on the floor. But it's a dad Jedi mind trick to ask them. And so I say, did you put the laundry up? And they're like, oh, laundry, sorry, I got, I got distracted. Sorry, dad. Here's, here's the thing I've noticed, though, about their distractions. They're not distracted. My kids aren't distracted by evil things. Like, I don't come by their room and find them, like, playing with fire or strangling cats. Even though the second one may, may be for the greater good of the world. I don't find them doing that, right? I don't find them, like, pinky in the brain style, like, let's take over the world. Like, I'm not, I'm not seeing that. They're just distracted by good things, neutral things, you know, playing games, Legos, laughing, all that kind of Stuff. My kids are pretty good at starting, but they struggle with finishing. Kids are just easily distracted, though, right? I mean, it's really good that adults don't struggle with these childish tendencies. Yeah, right. We are just as bad. In fact, some of you don't even know what it means to do the laundry. 
Like you don't know. You just put clothes in a machine. You hit go. You watch a movie. You put the clothes in a new machine, a different machine. You hit go. You scroll Facebook. And then when your spouse, your wife, or your husband comes in, you say proudly, I did the laundry. No, you didn't. The laundry ain't done until it's up in the closet or it's in, I got an amen over here, or it's in the drawers and all God's people said, amen. We are so easily distracted as humans and it makes us like really good at starting things but not that great at, at finishing them. But this laundry situation plays itself out over and over and over in our lives but the stakes are a lot higher than clean clothes. And it's not a new problem. I would say that technology has probably made this worse, but it's not a new problem for humanity. It's been a problem since the very beginning. It was a problem for sure 2,500 years ago. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bible, you can head over to the book of Nehemiah. If you don't have a Bible, use the Bible uh, in the seat, under the seat in front of you. In fact, I would highly recommend that. I'm going to talk to you about distractions, and I would hate for you to be looking at your Bible on your phone and get distracted. You know what I'm saying? These Bibles under the seat, they're special do not disturb Bibles. You don't get notifications on them. We'll be on page 401, but this week and last week, we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, talking about this idea of calling, that you are called, that God has called you to a people. He set you apart for something, that God has given you a burden. He's broken your heart for a people and called you to action. So let me kind of catch us up. God called Nehemiah to, to build this wall in Jerusalem. Uh, the remnant in Jerusalem were being attacked from all sides, didn't have a wall on the city. So God called Nehemiah to do that, to leave the comfort of, of being next to the king and, you know, eating the king's food as the cupbearer and all of that, risk it all to build the wall. And he does it. His heart is broken. He feels their pain. He runs to God. And then he takes a step. And the, the king, the godless pagan king, decides, okay, I'll do this. And he makes Nehemiah governor. He gives him money. He gives him people to go rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And we should, like, rejoice at the work beginning, right? Like, yeah, the work is started. But it's just a beginning. It's just, just a beginning. As soon as Nehemiah and, and his group start seeing progress on the wall, they literally face opposition from every side, north, south, east, and west. Enemies everywhere. And listen, it's the same with you and me. When you step out in faith to follow God's call on your life, you will face opposition. The enemy wants to come against you. Our enemy will show up to derail the work of God. And, and listen, if the enemy can't destroy you, then he'll try to distract you. If he can't destroy you, he's going to try to distract you. That, that's his goal. I mean, we started the work. We, we've risked it. We're full of faith. We're all about it. Let's go do it. He can't destroy us. So all he can do is distract me. And that's exactly what happened to Nehemiah. The wall's going up. Enemies are showing up from all over. Guys with names like Sanballat and Geshem and Tobiah. Look at Nehemiah 6, starting in verse 1. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the, up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. 
So you never want to meet your enemies in the plane of oh no. Don't go to oh no to meet your enemies. Okay, that's rule number one. But what's happening there? They're saying stop building for a second, Nehemiah. Come off the ladder. Stop building for just a second. We just got something we want to talk to you about real quick. Just stop for a minute. And I think if it were me, I think I might, if I were Nehemiah, I might have thought of this as kind of an opportunity. Like these guys hate me. It's it's a chance for me to kind of explain myself and get them on my side, to convert my critics, to build my brand, to increase my influence. I mean, I might have kind of thought of this as, as an opportunity. But see if you agree with this. I think sometimes what we think are opportunities are actually distractions. Did, did you know that not, that not every chance at a raise or a promotion is from God? Did you know that not every open door is a door you're supposed to walk through? That not every phone call or text to meet up is a divine appointment from the Lord? Did you know that just because somebody wants you, a company wants you, a man or a woman wants you, some clique or group wants you, just because somebody wants you doesn't mean you need to go there, should go there, or supposed to go there, or supposed to stop what you're doing now and start something new over here, oftentimes these things that we look at and we think are opportunities, they're just distractions. And man, if we have an issue with anything in our culture, it's distractions, isn't it? I mean, we have so much that's vying for our attention. Like Facebook, we got Netflix, we got TV, we got all these things happening. We even got Wordle. You guys do Wordle? I don't even care about, sorry, just say, I don't even care about Wordle. I don't care about your Wordle score. Stop sending me your Wordle score. I don't care. We got all these things vying for our attention and taking our attention away from other things. We have never in the history of the world been so easily distracted and so excited and passionate about our, just a second. Somebody is blowing up my phone here. It's ESPN. And my friend says that he got the Wordle in four. Show off. This one's from the big guy. Not Jesus. David McQueen. All right. I better answer this one. Usually yes sir works. Yes sir, period, send. Okay. Now, we're so easily distracted. We laugh because... This is us. And if you're called, moving towards what God has given you to do, stepping out in faith, listen, the enemy may not be able to destroy you, but he is going to try everything to distract you. You can decide for yourself, but I think the biggest thing that keeps me from fulfilling my calling is distractions disguised as opportunities. Because we're so accessible to everyone and everything at all times. It's made us as a culture become really great at doing things that don't matter. I mean, we're really awesome at doing things that don't matter. Neutral things. Not evil things. But things that don't really matter. In Nehemiah, the enemy couldn't destroy Nehemiah, so he was trying to distract him. These guys go, let us meet up and talk this thing out. Let's go to Ono. 
And look at what Nehemiah says in verse 3. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? In other words, Nehemiah says, no. No. He rejects their proposal to meet up. Why? So he could stay focused on what God had called him to do. Build the wall. And as you read Nehemiah, you see over and over and over, they keep asking him, can we meet up? No. Can we talk for a second? No. Hey, I just have something real quick to tell you. Can you just come off the ladder for a minute, Nehemiah? No, no, no. If you're going to stay focused and not just start to complete the calling that God has on your life, but you're actually going to finish it. You're actually going to complete the calling then you're going to have to learn to say no. Saying no is key to getting rid of distractions and finishing the work God has called me to do. And, and here's how you do it. I'm going to teach you how to say no, okay. Here's how you do it. Somebody says, hey, can we meet up and talk? Can we meet up and talk about that new thing I was telling you about? No. Hey, can you help me out with this thing on Thursday nights? No. Hey, can I, can I pick your brain about this? Which is just code for can you figure out my problems for me? Can I, can I meet up and pick your brain about this? No. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to be mean about it. You can even smile when you say it. Because no. But it does help to kind of tilt your head back a little. And then when you say the no, you kind of bring your head down. So it's just kind of a. Can you practice with me? You ready? One, two, three. No. You just say no. You don't have to be mean about it. You just say no. Don't say, don't say maybe when it's a no. Don't waste anybody's time. Don't, don't, don't cause people to just keep thinking maybe you're going to come back. Don't, don't say I'll pray about it when it's actually a no. Don't say I'll think about it when it's actually a no. Just say no. Just, just say no. Now, you obviously can't say no to everything, right, and you shouldn't. But saying no is, is really key. In fact, if you think about it, if you're called to something, then there's going to be more no's than yeses, right? I mean, you're going to have to say no a lot of times to stay on point and on focus, called to this thing that God has called you to, staying on track with what God has called you to do. I, I don't say no because I'm, I don't care. I say no because I care deeply about what God has called me to do. You've got to say, you've got to say no. Even Jesus said no. Like there were a bunch of times Jesus would be healing and, and ministering to people, and then he would stop and he would say no. And he would go rest or he would say, I got a mission to keep going. I got a calling. I got to fulfill. I got to go to the next village or the next town or, or whatever. We're done. There was this one time in Luke 9 when Jesus is focused on getting to Jerusalem. He knows that he's got to get to Jerusalem to Jerusalem to die on the cross for us, and he's focused on his calling. And he's gonna, he and the disciples are going to stop and stay the night in a Samaritan village. But he's just going to stay the night and he's going to go to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans, when they find out that he's not staying to minister, that he's just going to leave the next morning, they say, never mind, you guys can't stay here. You can't stay here. And Jesus could have easily said, okay, okay, I'll stay for a day and then I'll go to Jerusalem. But he doesn't. He just says, I'm just going to go to a different village. We'll go to some other place. And then this awesome thing happens. you got to see this. 
The Samaritans say, you can't stay here. And then look at Luke 9, 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? What? <laughs> you got to love James and John. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Now you know why. You want us to burn this place to the ground, Jesus? Because we'll do it. Just say the word. Jesus is like, easy, boys, easy. It's just a no. I just got to move on to a different place. It's just a, I'm just saying no. Like, calm down. You don't have to burn the place to the ground. It's just a no. You, you just say no. You can be nice about it. Definitely no reason to call he, you know, fire down from heaven to consume the person you're saying no to. Just, just say no. Look back at Nehemiah. Chapter 6. The next verse in Nehemiah 6 says that four different times, four different times, they ask Nehemiah to come down and he says, no, 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 right? Just a second, let me get to the right place here. Yeah. And then they keep asking him, Will you stop the work and come meet with us? And he gives them the same answer, no. And then look at uh, verse 5 of Nehemiah 6. It says, in the same way Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it. Have you ever had anybody say something like that to you? Like, man, everybody is talking about this. Everybody's saying this. Like everybody's talking. Really? Everybody? Everybody's talking? Man, a lot of people, a lot of people have told me this about you. I always say, and you always should too, I always ask them how many. I always go like, hey, listen, if you're too scared to tell me names because you're a coward, I don't say that. That would be mean. I just say, if you don't want to tell me names, that's fine. But take a moment and just count up the people in your head. Just take your time. How many people actually came and told you this thing. It's usually like two or three, right? That's how many a lot is or multiple people or whatever. Sam Mallet, the bad guy in this story, goes, it's reported among the nations. In other words, there's a rumor going around about you. And here's the rumor. That you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king and you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. So that's the rumor. The rumor is, hey, you know, Nehemiah, even though the king was super gracious and gave him favor and sent him to Jerusalem and gave him all this money and made him governor, he's actually wanting to be the king. That's the rumor. If the enemy can't destroy you, he's going to try to distract you. That's all this is. Because when I'm on mission for God in our world, the enemy will use rumors to get my focus off of him and on to me. That's what happens. A lot of people, we can throw up that next slide there. A lot of people, a lot of people, they, they're saying this thing about you. Man, a ton of people are mad because you said no to them. A ton of people are really freaking out. Like, oh, you, I talked to multiple people 
that, that say that you're just not doing the right thing. Like they're saying, you're missing the big picture. You're, you're in this for you. You're just, you're just making a power play. You're not, you're not direct enough or you're too direct. You're, you're too extreme. You're not extreme enough. You're too tall. You're not tall enough. It doesn't matter what the substance is because it's just a distraction, right? It's all it is is, is a distraction, have you guys um, ever let what other people say about you distract you from your calling that God has given you? Man, I have. I have totally done that. I mean, I could have a thousand people building me up and two that are being super negative. I mean, I'm not talking about loving criticism here. Two, just being hateful and I can have a thousand people saying all this great stuff, but those two can easily tear me down if I'm not careful. And I'll let you in on something here. I've never met a, a preacher, somebody who does what I'm doing now on a regular basis. I've never met a preacher who doesn't struggle with this at some level. Because negative, mean people are often loud. And they send emails. And it's super annoying. And right after you preach, like a few hours after you preach, when you've kind of put yourself out there, you're vulnerable. Vulnerable to attack. That's why I've learned to, to kind of guard myself those few hours right after I preach. I've been doing this for 17 years. It's still true. And maybe you haven't preached, but, but you've been there, Right? That time that you kind of stepped out and did that thing, you led the meeting, you painted the canvas, you sang the song, you, you know, whatever it was that you did, you stepped out and you tried something and you risked it. And man, you're vulnerable after that. You're vulnerable to this distraction, rumors, and just hateful stuff that puts the focus on you and not on God. But you know what I'm trying to get into my soul like I, I don't know who it is, but I think somebody else in this room needs to hear this just like I need to hear this. You know what I'm trying to get deep down in my soul? This right here. I'm not going to let someone else's opinion of me distract me from God's calling for me. Amen? I'm not going to do it. What people say about me is not important. What's true about me is. Let me say that again. I am not going to let Someone else's opinion of me distract me from God's calling for me. Because what people say about me isn't important. What's true about me, now that's what's important. They can say what they want. It doesn't matter. They said I'm not smart enough, strong enough, experienced enough. I'm too young. I'm too old. Is it true? No. Then it doesn't matter. They said I'm trying to overthrow the king. Nehemiah, is it true? No, then it doesn't matter. It only matters if it's true. Don't let it distract you. Look at, look at verse 8. They send this open letter with this wild rumor trying to distract Nehemiah. And then it says, then I sent to them saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking, 
Their hands will drop from the work and it'll not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen our hands. So Nehemiah isn't fooled. He goes, this is just a tactic of the enemy. This is just you trying to distract me to get us to stop working. Well, it ain't going to happen. In fact, God, would you just strengthen our hands? Would you make us better at building the wall? Now, he's not going to be distracted. Distractions disguised as opportunities don't work with Nehemiah. These rumors don't work. But the enemy can keeps trying. And listen, beloved, it's the same with you and me. The enemy will keep trying. When you're trying to fulfill the calling God has placed on your life, stepping out in faith and believing him to do great things, the enemy keeps trying. You've got to stay focused. Look at what they come up with next to distract Nehemiah. Verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. So this guy goes, hey, people are trying to come kill you, Nehemiah. I gotta, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. Let's go to the temple. You need to come down from the ladder. Listen, Nehemiah, I know you, you got important work. I know you keep saying you won't come. But this time people are going to kill you. You're going to die. You need to come down. And we're going to go to the temple. We're going to close the doors. Let's go to the temple. But here's the thing. It was clear in the law in Numbers 18 that only the priests were allowed in the temple. Nehemiah wasn't allowed to go into the temple. He was governor. But he wasn't priest. He couldn't go into the temple. But I mean, come on, right? Surely, since somebody was trying to kill him, God would let him break that little rule, right, and go into the temple. Like, surely it's not that big of a deal. God would be okay with him running into the temple to save his life, especially Nehemiah. I mean, after all, he's like working really hard. He's getting it done. He's like God's right-hand man in this whole thing. Like, if Nehemiah dies, the, the building of the wall probably isn't going to happen. I mean, you can kind of see how it would be easy for Nehemiah to justify breaking this law, like he would consider himself above the law, outside of the law, entitled to an extra amount of grace and leeway to get things done. He doesn't, though. Our boy Nehemiah, he's not going to be distracted by entitlement. Look at verse 11. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not Go in. And then guess what? The next few verses, he finds out that they were lying anyways. Nobody was coming to kill him. It was that sand ballot jerk from earlier was getting people to lie to Nehemiah to try to get him to make a mistake, to, to, uh, to discredit his name, to undercut his leadership, to get him to sin, ruin his reputation. Nehemiah goes, I'm not going to take special privileges. I'm not going to be entitled. Listen, after you see some success, after you step out and you're going after the calling God has placed on your life and you start to see some success, there's this temptation of feeling kind of entitled. And the enemy is going to try to attack your character and distract you with, with entitlement. But you got to stay focused. Like, come on, you're, you've been working so hard. It's okay. Like, look at this. Look at all these people who say you're doing a good job. Like, you're, you're doing so good. Like, it's no big deal if you do this thing, if you break this rule, if you take this extra perk. It's not a big 
deal, go ahead, but you've got to stay focused. Because when I face the distraction of entitlement, i got to remind myself it wasn't about me when I started, and it isn't about me now. My calling is from God. So all the credit is going to go to God. Entitlement makes it about me, right? But this thing, this thing is about, it's about God. Man, I love Nehemiah because he's just an ordinary guy. And God uses him to do extraordinary things. He's not a prophet, priest, or king. He's just minding his own business, stepping out in faith as God calls him. But he's focused, and he keeps telling them the same thing over and over. It's in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, and I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? He goes, I'm not even going to go... Talk to him and tell him, I'm going to send messengers because I'm not going to come down. I'm not coming down. He sends a messenger because he's not going to be distracted. I'm not coming down off of this ladder. You can try to distract me. You can try to give me these opportunities that are really just distractions. But I'm not called to that. I'm called to this. So no, I'm not coming down. You can start with these rumors and this criticism and all of that. You can say all you want. It's not going to get me to come down off this ladder because I'm called to do a great work by a great God. And it's all about him. It's not about me. You can offer me all the perks you want. Keep your perks. Keep your entitlement. I don't need it. This is about God. I'm not coming down off this ladder. Somebody say, I ain't coming down. Nehemiah goes, I'm not coming down. Listen, I don't know what the Lord has you doing, but I want to encourage you tonight. Don't get distracted. Stay focused. Man, it's easy to start the laundry. It's a lot harder to finish it. Watch out for distractions. We live in a culture full of beginners, people starting things left and right. They go from thing to thing to thing. They start this, start that. They're like moths to a flame, this flame, that flame, then that flame over there. Like kids who can't finish the laundry. Listen, success is not in starting. It's in finishing. It's in carrying out my calling to completion. And Maybe God has called you to raise godly men and women. But they're not men and women right now. They're not even really kids. They're snot-nosed toddlers. Man, I'm thinking about a mom who is just day in and day out taking care of babies and toddlers and there's diapers and there's messes and it's just crazy and you just want to talk to adults every now and then and it's just, you're at your wit's end. Listen to me. Don't give up. Don't get distracted. What you're doing is important and it's not about you anyways. It won't always be this way. Stay the course. Stay focused. Maybe it's a business God has called you to. Maybe, maybe it's difficult. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's super easy and, and you're just getting bored. Don't get distracted. The work is important. you got to stay focused. Man, the first few years of marriage is difficult, isn't it? Maybe you're here and you're, you're within that first five years of marriage. It's hard. Stay focused. Keep going. Don't get distracted. Maybe God has called you to minister to kids here at Beltway Park. And somewhere along the way, you got distracted and you forgot 
Maybe you were gone for COVID and all that and you came back to church, but you didn't come back to serving in kids ministry. Man, I want to tell you, get back to your calling. Don't get distracted. Stay focused. It's important. Get back into it. Maybe it's mentoring students. Man, that is hard. But it's important. Get distra- Don't get distracted. What has God called you to do in the church and outside of the church? No, 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 no. I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down off this ladder. You can say whatever you want. Enemy, you can come at me from every single direction. You can try to distract me. But I will be focused on God's calling for my life. God has given me a great work to get done because he's a great God. I will not come down. At the end of chapter 6, Nehemiah actually, they finished the wall. But there's no... Miracle that makes it happen really quick. No angel shows up with magic hammers. There's no fire from heaven. There's there's no talking donkey. It's just 52 hard days of work while they're being attacked from every side. So what has God called you to do? An enemy will try to destroy you. But once you start the work, he'll do everything he can to distract you. Watch out. Be on guard against distractions that don't even look like distractions. Stay focused. Let's end like this. If you would, bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to pray for a moment. Just against all the distractions might be keeping you from the calling God has placed on your life. So maybe maybe you've tried, man. Maybe you come here and you're kind of weary and you're heavy laden and you're discouraged because you stepped out and you risked some stuff, but man, you faced all kinds of opposition. You faced distractions in all the ways we talked through, man. People were talking bad about you and there were rumors and there were misunderstandings and Maybe you made some mistakes. You thought you were entitled to some things. Maybe you jumped at opportunities that weren't really opportunities. But maybe it's just opposition and you come discouraged tonight. I just want to I just want to take a moment and say it's not too late for you. I don't know how long ago that calling was when it was clear. Maybe it was years ago, maybe it was decades ago. It doesn't matter. I just want to encourage you to pick that calling right back up and go right back to it. Focus on it. Fulfill the calling God's placed on your life. Lord, I just pray for those that would come in discouraged tonight. I pray, Jesus, that you would encourage them. That, God, they would take a step of faith and begin again running after that calling. And maybe you're here, and honestly, you need to repent. Maybe you ran after a lot of things. Repent just means to confess and then turn the other way, away from the sin, go towards God. Maybe, maybe you need to repent. You need to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I, God, I got off base here. You told me what to do, and I have gotten distracted. It's not evil things. You're not out committing crimes. It's good things, just busyness. Maybe neutral things. But in the end, they're things that don't matter. So if that's you, I just want to pray for you. 
that's you and you'd be honest as we have our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I just want to give you a moment to take an action. I think these action steps, even though small in this moment, are big inside your heart. And so that's why I always offer them. But I want to give you a moment, eyes closed, heads bowed. If that's you and you'd say, man, I'm, I'm discouraged because God, I've been facing all kinds of opposition. Or you would say, you know what, I got off track some, somewhere along. Maybe it's recently, maybe it's years or decades ago. But I've been distracted and I need to repent and I want to get back on track on the calling God has for my life. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand up for me? Yeah, I see those hands. Yeah, hands going up all over the place. Would you hold those up? Just eyes closed, heads bowed. Let me just pray. Jesus, we repent. We ask for your forgiveness. God, where we've strayed, not into sin, but just into distraction. So God, would you, would you miraculously bring us back into alignment with the calling you've placed on our lives? Like today, like right now, would you bring us back into that? I pray, God, that every person who raised their hand, that you would encourage them, Holy Spirit, and also you would give them specific things to do, that they would have action steps, that they would leave from here and step back onto the path that you want them to be walking on. God, we love you. And I think, God, I know that you're, you're pleased as we just try to lift our head from the everyday and we try to just get back where you want us to be. You're pleased at the work beginning, but God, you long as we should long to see the work finished. May we be a people here who aren't just good at starting, but may we be known as a people that are good at finishing. We love you, Jesus. We give all this into your hands and we trust you with it because only you can do it. It's in your name that we pray. Everybody said, amen.